Welcome to episode 346 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. Kitty Bell and I talk about the antidote for corruption, being more childlike. Mr. Rogers and Dolly Parton are everywhere as of late. Coincidence? We talk about Buddhists and the Sisters of Mercy. Parents moving in with you when you're an adult. Trump ruining relationships. Flying a plane, dropping bombs on people. This holiday time of year, the lack of respect for truth, false equivalencies, and the common good. Great conversation with Kitty Bell Burbank on this week's program. We have an EWSA titled, That I Might Fly. An article written by Larry David for the New Yorker magazine titled, On the First World Campaign Trail and a poem called Richer. All of this, as is always the case, will be infused and imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. Nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 346 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Yeah. 
that I might fly. The other day, someone with their feet on the ground and elbow leaning on a window sill next to a view of gray-white clouds, so slowly moving northeast, asked me if I was leaving my post as a professor. I told him it was the first I had heard about it. It spurs me to wonder how rumors get started, how stories and chatter circulate and morph into the myths and major foci of discourse for communities of people, regardless of how much, if any, of the narrative is rooted in what a reasonable person would deem truthful. When we think alone about who we are, where we come from, and where we might go from here, what does indeed inform the internal dialogue? What inspires it, confines it, colors and controls it, frees and unfolds it? How similar is mine to yours, ours to theirs? Sisters and brothers of this time and space, I wrestle so often with all the approaches, ways and means that I might embrace to transform my life into a more wholehearted and dignified journey instead of the rat race aimless chase that my id drive justifies Freudian and denies Jungian, defiles Lao Tzu and Winnie the Pooh. And as I reflect further, instills in me a wonder as to whether that someone with their head in the clouds knew something I had yet to find out about. My brilliant theories and sense of personal reality, as constant yet ephemeral too, as the gray-white clouds overhead, simply passing by. And yet, still, I hope maybe one day I might fly. You can never hold back spring You can be sure I will never stop believing Blushing rose that will climb Spring ahead or fall behind Winter dreams the same dream Every time Baby, you can never hold back spring
Kitty Bell Burbank, is that you? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's great to have you on Troubadours and Rock On Tours again. Regular contributor, sure. writer, playwright, yeah. activist, baker and candlestick maker. <laughs> baker who's about to uh, side gig into green bean casserole. Oh, excellent. So you're also a chef. It's, it's what the family is demanding. Yeah, well, we're going to get into some of that uh, during our conversation, the holiday time of year. Um, right. I know you want to talk, though, about something a little heavier first, like corruption. <laughs> it's not that I want to talk about it. It's just that as a society, we can't seem to stop talking about it. You think we're focusing on corruption too much as a society? Well, I, I would say it's a legitimate problem. You mean um, locally or nationally? Yeah. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Everywhere, right? Um, that's the the question that I had phrased in, as I phrased it in class earlier this week, was it's both sides or all five sides or I don't know how many sides there are anymore, but they're all accusing each other of corruption. That's yeah. You're a professor, and uh, what what was the course that you you posed this question? We did a uh, a timed writing exercise um, in my college writing class because that's a thing that they're going to have to do. So we discussed you know strategies for how how you know how to do well when you're put into that position, and then I gave them a, a question. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, these are mainly, prob uh, I would say, uh, younger people in their uh, late teens, early 20s. And what what is their view of, of corruption? Do they see it as you do, as someone who's... They're pessimistic. Yeah? They, they don't think that we will ever be able to get rid of it. It's more like they think it's something we're just going to have to live with because it's inevitable that... They don't see people having power without it corrupting them, which is pessimistic. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe they're right. Well, at least they're aware of it. You know, that's promising. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, yeah, it's, it's realistic, I guess. Maybe um, there, there are some that are more hopeful. I mean, there's, there's one student who, who sees that we have to, be more childlike, you know, as as people in general, as a society, which is um, idealistic, and you know, I I can respond to as somebody who works mostly for nonprofits now <laughs> and <laughs> thinks that you know it is possible to change, but um, yeah. It's hard, right? 
Well, you know, when you say being more childlike, uh, I I do think children have some great qualities in, in the way that they look at the world and themselves. But at the same time, I think one of the problems we have in, in our country uh, is that we are a bit immature. You know, <laughs> we don't take responsibility maybe as much as we should as citizens and we're not uh, aware as much as maybe we should be of the history of, of this country and, you know, mistakes we have made and, and the like. So I think that'll just let those who are in power take more advantage of us. That's a good point. I, I think if these young people see that we can't allow politicians to uh, take care of things. We can't trust them to have our best interests um, at heart, then maybe that's a good thing. Yes, I think that's important uh, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned uh, in, in our text exchange that uh, you're seeking an antidote for, for corruption, did you bring that up in your in your conversation with your students, or is that is that just yeah something? that was that was part of the question? Most of them don't think that it's possible. How about you? Do you think there's an antidote? Well, I I sort of do, and and that's what I was saying. That the same time I was phrasing this question, um, I I saw a Wall Street Journal headline that said. It's not your something along the lines of I'm paraphrasing. Um, it's not your imagination. Dolly Parton and Mr. Rogers really are everywhere, and it made me think. You know why we venerate them, and especially why now? <laughs> why now? Out of all the people, we're not talking about Kardashians anymore, or you know, we're we're tired of talking about politicians. We're like focusing on these people who. I would say most people would agree are are good-hearted more than most people are capable in their everyday life right now maybe. I'm not phrasing that right at all. But go ahead. No, you mean capable of uh of being good-hearted? Yeah, they they have like a power I I think to sort of rise above um, the, 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 the stuff that weighs a lot of us down. And they're not naive, right? They're not, it's not like they don't know what's really going on in the world, you know? Um, especially when you look at a lot of Dolly Parton's songs. She knew exactly what was going on in the world. Oh, yeah. She, and, came up, she came up hard and she worked hard as a woman to become a powerhouse, yeah. In the industry of music and entertainment. So she knows. She's no dummy. Right. But she's always managed to be positive and and try to use her power, you know, for the benefit of others. And, and I think you could say a lot of the same things about Mr. Rogers that, I mean, he was very childlike in a way. And sort of, I think, chose that <laughs> over other personas. and but, but he knew what was going on. I saw something out of the corner of my eye. I honestly didn't really read it, but about how he was battling things like about um, racism and segregation and stuff when other people were turning away from it. Um, he, and he, he would like 
tackle pain and suffering head on and not like turn away from it. And that's, that's powerful. It is. It is. And I, I think the, I don't, I'm not an expert on, on uh, Mr. Rogers or Dolly Parton, but I've read a few things and I think both of them were people of, of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, they were sort of there. Well, Dolly is still alive. Uh, but uh, Mr. Rogers was a minister, I believe, a Presbyterian minister. And um, I, you know, in, in uh, interviews I, I've I've witnessed with Dolly Parton, she talks about her faith. D- do you think that might have helped them? Do you think that's what we need as a, a sort of antidote to corruption? I don't see how it can hurt. I think maybe. Um, a lot of the problems people have had with organized religions have hurt us as a society because there is a need for that and there is a lot of good. Um, I just started working for a nonprofit that's run by the Sisters of Mercy who are called the Walking Nuns, but they are like like on the social justice like forefront fight. <laughs> <laughs> they're not what you think of necessarily when you think of nuns, you know, traditionally. And it's really inspiring that, you know, they've dedicated their lives to, to helping people. And, and they believe that that's, you know, if not enough, that it matters and that they can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe sometimes folks believe they have to uh, go into a um, a community that is connected to some superhuman power uh, or entity force to to tap in to to that sort of insight and that sort of uh, behavior whereas maybe we're failing that means we're failing in our secular lives in our secular ways and culture to to impart upon people the importance of being moral and ethical without, mm-hmm. you know, any payoff or without a fear of judgment from a higher power. Yeah. You know, I think we fail in that regard. It's like, why, why can't I, I I'm, you know, I, I'm spiritual and, uh, and, uh, I believe in love and goodness, but I don't necessarily believe it comes from any, you know, God in the sky or anything. I, you know, I think that's, in some ways, I think that's silly with all due respect to uh, those listening mm-hmm. who are uh, more traditionally religious. But I, I don't know. I just... I, I this, this sister I was talking to recently uh, told me that they believe that God came out of the Big Bang and... <laughs> And I kind of said something about how it's in us, and and she interpreted that as it's in our DNA. And I was like, that makes sense to me. So (laughs) beyond that kind of thing that you would think that a Catholic nun would say, she, she really saw something much more on the ground, like widespread and, and, um, you know, not that thing in the sky. Yeah, that's Wait. that's great. I yeah, I was surprised. She she really made a lot of sense to me. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we fight it, but it's in us. And um, we should stop trying to qualify, you know, that goodness and just sort of, you know, use it to fix things. <laughs> yeah. Qualify and quantify both, you know. Yeah. Um, it's there. It's there whether we want it to be or not. So, like, you know, maybe we should stop trying to be cool or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. You know, you mentioned childlike and I also in this I you know, I don't mean to to again say something that seems disrespectful. I don't mean this with disrespect. But when I look at someone uh coming out of a Buddhist background, uh, you know, some great uh uh spiritualist so to speak, as the Dalai Lama or uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, another monk from Vietnam, Buddhist monk, they seem to be, in a lot of ways, on the surface, simple in the way that they look at the world. And they have, uh, you know, this sort of smile on their face, uh, despite knowing how complicated and how much turmoil life uh, brings. And... You know, that that is, you know, for a lot of people when you're especially when you're younger, like look at those weirdos, those idiots, you know, <laughs> they're not cool. They're, you know, they don't understand. They're not tough. But indeed they are. I yeah. guess tough for sure. Cool, you know, I don't know what that means necessarily. So that higher plane of understanding perhaps makes you seem simple. You know. Yeah. I think that, like, that's what we see. I think that's, like, the whole Dolly Parton thing that's happening right now is that we see that she figured it out somehow, you know, that and and we were trying to get it from her. Or Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Same deal, right? Yeah. I mean, they they didn't have to make a, a film about him right now. But even beyond that, I... I before like they even made this movie and maybe it's just because I was spending time in Pittsburgh where he was from that I just kept seeing um you know that attention to him and stuff about kindness and you know be like Mr. Rogers kind of stuff and and they're quoting him everywhere and, and which is awesome <laughs> it's um you know maybe if that's easier for people to connect to than than a religious figure okay you know, or a blatantly religious figure, I guess, like if he, you know, is a minister, like you said, he really is one, but he's not identifying in the forefront as a a minister. No, and then we have, we have to kind of, um, uh, this tendency, we have to push back and, and, and not fall prey to of, of worshiping and putting people up on a pedestal. That's when it all goes wrong. <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, now we we're talking about, I guess, corruption and, and being a sound human being on the planet, trying to to foster and and perpetrate, if that's the right word, goodness mm -hmm. uh, as we live, and and that a lot of times comes from. I'm trying to segue here from uh, the the early figures in our lives uh, as influences, namely, you know, parents. <laughs> and uh, I know you, you are uh, experiencing something that a lot of uh, folks are experiencing more and more as time goes on. 
a parent moving back in or moving in with you mm -hmm. uh, after years, you're an adult woman, and now you have one of your parents who've, who has moved back in with you, and, and it's kind of different. You want to talk about that a bit? Well, it's it's different because it's sort of unprecedented. <laughs> um, you know, I was raised by a single mom, um, mainly because my parents were divorced when I was three, and there's a lot of um, some confusion that comes out of that. You know, I, I don't want to... It's not like my mom's going to listen to this, but um, she's somebody that I'm. I, I love dearly, and I know she loves me. But we clash a lot, and we've grown apart a lot. I I, I always wonder, like her ideas are the ones that shaped me, um, because my dad, who's now here <clears throat> living with me, wasn't there with us. Um, but yet she's sort of turned into one of these, you know, Trump supporters. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Um, and and I, I have to tiptoe around our conversations and I'm afraid to say anything because I'm afraid it's going to turn into something political. She's very, you know, she's always insisted that she's an atheist and now I work for nuns. And <laughs> it's like, I, I feel like I've grown really far away from her in a lot of ways. And then, um, you know, the weird thing is that even though my dad wasn't around um, when I was growing up, I'm a lot like him. And it could be one of the reasons that I clash with her, you know, opposites attract. And there was probably a lot that was opposite about them. But, you know, he's a big reader. And, you know, so am I, obviously, you know, very uh, into reading and books and stories and academics. And um, he's kind of a, a studying buddhism in fact he's going to like a buddhist monastery for thanksgiving <laughs> which is like something my mom would just be like what what is that you know she wouldn't understand i don't think and um and yeah it's weird it's like we we eat a lot of the same foods and um you know uh, i i i'm just like how am i so like this person that i never really knew and um and he's you know he works you know, so he's not here all day. Um, but, you know, that's me, too. I'm not probably going to retire. My mom's retired. I, I can't imagine stopping working ever. How old is your dad? He's got, you know, that's a good question. He's got to be at least 70. But it's, I'm not sure. Still working. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I, I have to say, I mean, you probably at first had some, and still do perhaps, as most of us do, have issues with your dad. Yeah, you know, given the fact that uh, your mom raised you and he wasn't around so much, that must have been hard to deal with and maybe still is when, you know, you're trying to rekindle a relationship or start a brand new type of relationship. Yeah. Well, she's she's never really had anything nice to say about him and um, still to this day refuses to be in the same space at the same time. My sister and I used to f joke that we were going to fake our de one of our deaths so that we could just see them in the same room together. Because uh, we figured that was the only way to do it. <laughs> Whoa. And, oh, yeah, she's not happy with that, you know, decision and uh, that I made. And I don't see, I mean, I, I wasn't going to, you know, turn him away. And I, any more than I would turn her away. Um, and especially because it is an opportunity for me now to, you know, get to have some time. And, um, you know, when I was a kid at one point, that's all I wanted, you know was to have a, a father who loved me and 
I didn't think it was going to turn out this way <laughs> when I was at this age, but um, all right, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not going to turn that down. So I, I would like for her to understand that, but you know, I, it's going to be hard not to bring up at Thanksgiving. Like it's going to be hard not to bring up politics. <laughs> I'm like terrified. <laughs> Um, and you quit dr- and you quit drinking so you can't go there to, oh no yeah that. no i can't <laughs> you're such a cool personality you're really oh you've you really have uh grown more and more as as you've uh aged you're aging well as a human being you really are my compliments um and and de- dealing with this situation with your dad, have you had the tough conversations or any of the tough conversations, re- you know, regarding the early days of your relationship or lack thereof? Yeah, you know, I w- at one point, um, you know, there was some sporadic communication over the years, um, and at, at one point, I think when I was in my early twenties, he said, "You could ask me anything you want," and at, by that point, it, it just didn't really matter anymore the past was kind of the past and um my my dad was in the air force and fought in vietnam he was a pilot and at one point i thought okay he's flown a plane that dropped bombs on people and i have no idea what living with something like that is and i will never know you know and and how could how could i judge that I can't, and I'm not going to. So I I figured what's more important is, you know, the future. You know, it's the present right now, what's happening right now, and and what are we going to do about tomorrow? And uh, it seems to be going pretty well, so (laughs) maybe it's best that I kind of didn't ask. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's it's really – it's – I mean, I don't want to say it's none of my business because obviously my whole life was affected. But I think I'm turning out pretty well. So, okay. Yeah. Good enough. Good enough. That's great. And and I think you would – you've talked about this in the past. We've been talking to each other for many years. The importance of forgiveness. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But in this case, you know, I, I managed to – Unlike my mom, uh, forgive and and have a, a relationship that is is really important to me, you know. And sometimes you don't get that chance. Sometimes you can forgive, but people can't forgive you, or you forgive, but you have to protect yourself, <laughs> you know. And you know, okay, just because I forgive you doesn't mean I have to let you hurt me anymore. Um, and and sometimes that's kind of the relationship I have with my mom is that the, she said some hurtful things to me that I I think I've forgiven, but at the same time I'm still I don't I have to protect myself. It's it's so important to be in tune and to be as honest as possible regarding the relationships you have with certain people in your lives. If you're in your life, if you're going to live and grow as an individual, you know, uh, your parents, of course, are your parents. And 
they are just people, flawed human beings, as we obviously know. And you, if you can, unless it's such a terrible situation where they really are truly abusing you, you, you you're wise to to try to to keep a connection or, or at least you know understand what their journey and struggles have been. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tomorrow, which is Thanksgiving, because we're talking before Thanksgiving, uh, is going to be a lot of okay. What what can we talk about? <laughs> you know, where is this going to be safe ground? Where? Because um, I really I don't. You know, it's I've always been very very political and very interested in in talking about politics, but something has happened that. I, I really think that relationships are being ruined um, because of politics. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and because of this new way of of debating, where I, I mean, from my point of view, at least, they just have no respect for what's true. They being um, the. <laughs> the um the the pro trump republicans who are refusing to let go of power yeah 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 i you know i'm biased i'm with you on that uh, you know i uh, but i think we don't want to put out there a false equivalency truth is truth uh, right you know you can't say well they have a right to say what they're saying well no not if it's pro- right. provably untrue Right. <laughs> it's kind of driving me crazy that that like reality is being warped and so many people are what did I just see like Trump has a 42% approval rating and somebody was tweeting how is this even possible and and then he started talking about how the 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 leftist communists are trying to get rid of Thanksgiving and call it something else. And it's like, there's this whole line of Twitter stream that I was reading that they're like, what? No, we're not. (laughs) When did this thing, this, you know, imaginary new war against this holiday start? Because we're not doing that, you know? No. It's insane. Yeah, it's to distract us from some of the stuff that we should be looking at that uh, that is occurring and uh, out of the government. Uh, you know, it's a red herring, basically divide and conquer all of that stuff. Uh, smoke yeah. and mirrors. See, perf- perfectly rational people trying to figure out what he's talking about. They're like, is he talking about Columbus Day? <laughs> right, or Indigenous People Day? <laughs> and he's he's not. He's getting the holidays confused. And I don't even know if there is any kind of rationality there I, I think it's just it's that what that uh, false victimization thing that that they do yeah we're talking about relationships we you know uh, we, we really have to come to terms with what we've been doing as a nation uh, as fellow citizens over these last three plus years with the you know the the orangutan in office and mm-hmm. how we're assuming we get we move on to another person as president and maybe get a better Congress. We really have to uh, rebuild our relationship, uh, relationships with one another. My kids just came off the school bus. So you're probably going to hear. Oh, I heard second. something. Did yeah. I heard know. youth. 
the, the sound the, of youth. The sound of youth. Yeah. Um, but we, we're just about out of time, Allie. Of course. It goes Kitty by Bell. so quickly, doesn't it? It does. Kitty Bell Burbank, regular contributor on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, I'm happy to say. Writer, activist, baker, candlestick maker, and so much more. A good friend, too. Uh, so, a closing thought for this holiday season? I guess I just want to believe in in the antidote, and I, I want to believe that there is some... I mean, I think that's where we're going to go. That's the pendulum's going to swing towards somebody who is, you know, obviously no one's perfect, and we shouldn't be putting anyone on a pedestal, but it's got to be somebody just above general reproach you know and i don't know if they're gonna let that happen though they but, being again they being you know the same people that are the the i mean i hate to just say the republicans because that's so vague and there's obviously people that there's republicans that don't agree with what's going on um i've, I've heard people say they're never gonna you know vote for trump again but they don't know what to do there's a lot of lost people that know something's wrong, but they don't trust anyone. And and they feel that even the people that do have our best interests at heart are suspicious. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just hope we find it. We, we can find a way to put the common good first. Well put. Kitty Bell Burbank, it's... It's wonderful to talk with you as always. I love you. You're great. Have a nice holiday season, and you we'll too. talk. We'll talk to you in the new year again. Okay, and uh, make sure that I get your actual address this year, so I don't put cookies on some stranger's porch again. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take care of that for sure. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again. Although they're probably going to miss them, but <laughs> hey, they won't know the difference. Okay, I will. Yes. All right. Ciao. Thank you. Bye bye. Happy holidays. You too.
an article written for the New Yorker magazine titled On the First World Campaign Trail by Larry David. Good evening. Thank you all for coming. These past six months, I've been to 35 states and done more than 80 town halls. You talked and I listened. And the one thing I came away with, above all else, is that we have a lot of first world problems in this country. Problems that are often overlooked and ignored. Just hearing about them has made me a better candidate and a better person. So many of you have opened your lives to me. There's Blair, the Silicon Valley executive, who walked into her closet one morning to find that many of her cashmere sweaters were marred by moth holes. These sweaters cannot be repaired. And if you love cashmere, and really, who doesn't, you can appreciate how upsetting this would be, especially when you consider that every other item in Blair's closet had to be sent to the dry cleaner. Fortunately, she didn't have to go herself, but she did have to deal with not having her whole wardrobe available to her during a period of many social obligations. Blair broke down as she told me this. I put my hand on her shoulder and assured her that someday she'd get her clothes back and that in the meantime, shopping for new cashmere sweaters could be fun. This seemed to cheer her up, but I couldn't stop thinking about Blair's story. Let's face facts. We have a moth problem in this country, and the sooner we recognize it, the better. Then there was Rob, a hedge fund manager from Scarsdale, who took a golf vacation in Miami Beach with his buddies and found himself on the first tee with no sunblock. He went into the pro shop to buy some, but they only had the kind that wasn't organic. Fortunately, he was wearing a hat that protected his face, but his arms and legs got so sunburned that he was unable to play the next day. Sadly, he was reduced to lying poolside under an umbrella while his buddies teed off. Of course, the sun kept shifting, which required him to move his umbrella every ten minutes. No easy task. Those umbrellas are unwieldy. He asked the pool boy to do it once and gave him a tip, but he didn't want to tip the kid every single time the sun shifted. So he moved the umbrella himself and wound up pulling a muscle in his back. Imagine, you work hard at Sullivan, Fairchild, Renfro, and Lieberman trying to help people. Sure, you're well compensated, but no one deserves this. What's worse is that the injury could have been avoided if these resorts had a no-tipping policy. Then the pool boy, who's trained to move the umbrella, would have moved it. Who can blame Rob for not wanting to give him $10 every 10 minutes? Who brings that kind of cash on a trip? It's hard to hear Rob's story and not be moved by it. I promise that as president, I will not rest until we do something about the tipping policy fiasco that has long plagued and continues to plague this nation. When Rob woke from a poolside nap, he ordered lunch, and it took more than an hour to arrive. He liked his veggie burger well enough, but they didn't have any gluten-free buns. It's time that these resorts realize that some people have gluten allergies and that others, like myself, are just under the impression that there's something wrong with gluten and try to avoid it. When I'm president, there will be a much greater emphasis on gluten. That's a promise. After lunch, Rob went to the spa for a facial. Another bust. The facialist didn't massage Rob's hand and feet during the mud mask. 
and they didn't even have a micro-needling machine. Unheard of! The result? Rob left with no facial glow. That's right, you heard me, no facial glow. Later, at dinner with his buddies, Rob ordered a pricey bottle of wine, but it didn't taste right, so he sent it back. Sure enough, Rob's pal Stan made a snarky comment, and before long, the two were going at it. Rob, with his sunburn and pulled muscle, could not defend himself against the smaller and wilier Stan, who punched him in the nose, causing him to bleed all over the mushroom flatbread. Rob had to sleep with toilet paper in both nostrils, which combined with the unusually high pillows made it impossible to get any rest. Rob paused at this point in his story, unable to go on. This wine incident cuts to the core of who we are as a people. It took courage to send that wine back. Rob is an example to all of us, and he's here tonight. Rob, stand up. In closing, when you hear about people like Rob or Blair, people with first world problems, remember that they are still human beings. I'll be taking a break from my campaign next week and heading up to the Four Seasons in Maui, where, rest assured, I'll be focusing on ways to improve this great first world country. I'd appreciate your vote.
of progress tear and dig into the natural history of this earth, as we are too, just as beautiful and pure as the flowers eating the dirt and noise of the depraved urge to become richer. Episode 346 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, 
Kitty Bell Burbank. I'd like to thank as well Larry David and these musical artists. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Whitney, Tom Waits, Esther Rose, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Nico Case, Brentford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard too. Until next week, how about we give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks so much for listening.